Tearing down the superheated barrel of life, unleashed at the speed of unrelenting full auto, we are the scourge of the Vox Wave, 665.66 UHMR Chemrat Radio. Coming to you live tonight from Joe's Sump Shack. Speaking of oversized sump crustaceans, the last few months of silence from the glass eaters was too good to be true. Once again, those glass holes are on the warpath trying to claim territory in the underhive. Sure would be nice to see some of the Arbides officers when they are actually needed. Heh. <laughs> Doing our best to shred what's left of the Administratum's propaganda machine, I am your plasma-free coast with the most Goblin King, joined by our stargazing navigator Supreme. Who are we kidding? You couldn't <laughs> find Arconia's moon on a clear night. Marky. Who's Arconia? Why did he moon me? (laughs) (laughs) And just fanatical enough to probably tell us which star in that sky is actually Terra, it's Kev. Uh, Terra's a planet, not a star. Terra's a myth. Right, but when you look up into the night sky, other planets appear like stars. Do they? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I don't know. I live in the Underhive. What the fuck, man? Have you ever seen a star? (laughs) Terra's a myth. Careful, though. That kind of thing can get you shot. And no one listens to us down here anyway. (laughs) That's true. So welcome to episode 70 of Under the Hive of Madness, Planet Spotlight Holy Terra. As we record our last episode of our second year of podcasting and bring a close to season two of UHM, we are taking a deeper dive into the home of humanity and the Imperium. End of season two, guys. This is our last episode. This is our, our last recorded episode of season two. And and just a week away from us recording the first episode of season three. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like it's like Survivor. <laughs> I mean, we're all still here. <laughs> you know, but, I thought the I thought Survivor had been going on for a long time. Then I found out that there's been like twenty something seasons of the challenge. The hell, Holy the shit. challenge. Right? <laughs> like, it, it blew my mind. There the was summers some... are watching a bunch of it. You've never heard of it? I've never heard of the challenge. Sorry, I know it's completely off topic, but yeah. you, the Survivor thing got me going, and Summer's been watching a bunch of it lately. So imagine if... So you know what Real World is, right? No. You don't remember MTV Real World? I didn't have to. So, I, ne- so I never Real... watched it, but I knew of it. So, so Real uh, World was... They, they took, like... It was a 90s show... Where they took like a bunch of late nineties, early two thousands kids, kids who watched MTV essentially, and put yeah. them into a Winnebago. Oh well, okay. The, the There's original, a bunch of versions. The original Real World from the early nineties. They put a bunch of kids in a Winnebago, and then they the made them like live together. Real World. I, pff, maybe he I might have been on it at some point. I stopped watching Real World in like season three. But it essentially, it was like Big Brother. Like Big Brother or any of those yeah. where there's like a bunch of people all living together. Like, like and having to live in one house together. never seen Big Brother. I okay, can't believe so, the challenge so has been around for 20 fucking years. It's, and it's not necessarily that it's been around 20 years, but there's like 20-something seasons because they were, do, they were double running them for a while. Well, and fucking, I, like the thing that blows my mind is but, that South Park is in like season nineteen oh, yeah. or twenty. South Park's been because South Park's this, been going since I was like twelve. The Simpsons <laughs> has been going for like thirty four, thirty five oh, years. Yeah, that blows my mind too. But um, so essentially, it's like Survivor and okay. Big Brother put together. So a bunch of okay, well, a bunch I, of MTV 
punk punk ass fuck boys. I know what Survivor girls. is. I don't know what that other thing. What's the other thing? Big you know, brother? you know what fuck boys are, right? So big, I do. Big brother so imagine was a sh- fuck boy Survivor. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. And instead and of make trying to survive shit. in the jungle, it's a balling ass mansion. Yeah. <laughs> what? And in and between have- days of living at this mansion, they go out and do Survivor type. Bullshit. Yeah. Okay. Like, or or they y'all take... have to climb this cargo net, and the first one to the top wins. Except that they're allowed to straight like punch each other off. Did they do that in Big Brother? Like challenges? No, but Big there was Brother like was voting just... each other, voting people yeah. out of the house and stuff like that. Going. The other on thing they used. To, I, I don't know if they do but, it anymore in the challenge, but there used to be a thing that they would do in the challenge where they would take away something that you would think was like that, like you hand wave is trivial, and they have to like survive without it for a week. And it'd be yeah. something like you can't use any knives, like like any knives at all. Uh, and yeah, like that's not really like every challenge. Now they just made the challenges like ridiculously hard. Not they, even like, weird. They mixed it now with X Factor like, is what they did, or Fear Fear Factor. Joe they Rogan's did a little old bit of, show. Yeah, so they did a little bit of of the Fear Factor stuff, but now it's like the finale is. You kayak. can't use toilet paper. No, no, no. It's like kayak <laughs> for a month. Kayak up a river in a snowstorm for three miles. Up river. Yeah. Then yeah. get out of said kayak, climb a mountain. Pee on a in raccoon. In the snow. <laughs> this is like in the middle of fucking Norway. What the fuck? Climb a mountain. You got Pee to the on top. A raccoon. Eat, eat a pound of fermented shark. Oh, God. Get on a bike. <laughs> you know, pedal down the mountain. To another fucking like ten miles in the snow, to another place, and the first person there wins. After that, doing all that other shit, and that, that's like one thing to. That's, that's one, one challenge. That's the finale. Like that's how it ends. All right, all right it's so, like so. Nin- this is after they've already eliminated like a it's bunch like of teams. Ninja Warrior slash Fear Factor. It's like Ninja Warrior challenges. Yeah. On a Survivor, except you're living in a, a fancy house. Yeah. I hate reality TV. No, it's, it's it's absolutely <laughs> ridiculous, but it has led to some really crazy reality TV show moments. So you you're aware of of some of these people, right, Ryan? Like, do you know any of the names of the people that were on it? Because you no, you were familiar I, with the show. Oh, uh, okay, Snooky. So, no, that one Snooky type people though. Yeah, were on it. yeah. So there's this one Snooky dude, type. and his name that was, sounds so racist the way you say that, Kevin. <laughs> No, it's a personality thing, not a race thing. There was a dude with ridis- ridiculous frosted tips that became really, really popular. I remember him. Was that but Bananas? Like, no, it wasn't Johnny no. Bananas. But so, so you know who Johnny Bananas is. Uh, so there, Johnny there's Bananas. A waste, there's a Wasteland Weekend video with me and Johnny Bananas in it. What? <laughs> yeah. Johnny went to Wasteland? Yes, and the and I'm in the video. Okay, <laughs> okay, 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 okay. You you keep talking. That, that's funny, but there's an episode where Johnny is going against this other dude, and it would so to, to the other dude's name C T and to just to give I, I, you an idea. Hold on, I need some context first. Who is Johnny Bananas? He's that's just, literally he's, his name on the he, show. He's just like a crazy dude. He's just a dude. He's just a normal guy, pretty much. But he's pretty good at the game, and he's won it quite a few times. Um, but he's okay, like okay, my okay. size, right? Okay. Okay, you're gonna show it. And I'm gonna show. I'm that, gonna. I'm gonna show the the. I'm gonna show who the wasteland this, one. Yeah, this is Johnny Bananas. Oh, I I can't. You guys can't hear my. Can't sound. hear it. 
that's so crazy. So he went, but wait, it gets and better. that like isn't that long ago because you're gonna see somebody you know real soon. <laughs> <laughs> I Tom might actually be Beast might actually be in this too, that's not for crazy. very long because he was not fucking amused. But oh, I'm sure. <laughs> what? Just the fact that honey bananas with a wasteland. <laughs> I can't. I can't believe. Like, I, fuck, man. This is this is a weird tangent, Kevin. Right. So what a rant, and all because he said Survivor. Yeah. <laughs> this this. It, it, I, for those of you listening, um, we we watch a, we watch a video at one point of this dude named Johnny Bananas. Oh, hey, I'm in that shot with all I, the bikes going by. Would not be surprised if you're in multiple of these, dude. Because <laughs> that was the year that we had the big rev off at the front gate. Yeah. There. There I am. Right there. Ah! And now I walk around with him for like, <laughs> like, like oh, three or four crazy. hours of footage. But yeah, it like, and like, I wasn't supposed to be in it. I was only supposed to like introduce something and then immediately and move then on. Gone. But he That's ended funny. up having me in a bunch of it. That's crazy. Oh my God. I'm walking around with so much shit. Do you know how heavy all that crap was? I okay. know, right? Okay. okay. <laughs> so that's Johnny Bananas. So there's Johnny Bananas. Roughly, you know, me, Ryan size. Okay. There's another dude named CT, and in this challenge that they, they get put up against each other 1v1, they're strapped back to back, right? Okay. And they have to try to get, like, tug of war, but you're back to back, like, but, and no rope. And, and butt naked. To, no, no, they're, they're wearing normal clothes. And you gotta, just the double-sided dildo holding you together. I was, trying to, make it. It. I was just trying to make it more interesting, Kev. Just ass to ass. Whoever rips it out first wins. And you get to the, to the opposite side of, of like a tennis court size. Equal, or not equilibrium. It's Beach rec room for a dream all over. Rectolibrium? Basically, you know, drag the dude that you're strapped to to the other side and knock over a 55-gallon drum. All right. CT just leans forward. Yeah. And just picks Johnny up. Yeah. And Johnny looks like a fucking baby in a little baby carrier. <laughs> and CT just Hulk mode. Like veins on the forehead. You could see the veins on his thighs, like ripping his pants open. And just carries fucking CT. It's pretty pretty brutal. Yeah, huh. yeah it, it's an it's a it's a crazy ass show. Um, all right. It leads to some ridiculous <laughs> reality TV moments. Uh, how did we get to reality TV from the Imperium of Man? Because <laughs> he said Survivor. And then I, that reminds That's me. Because right. then right. it was Survivor's been going forever. And I was like. Oh, because oh, we're moving show. into season three. Yeah, because we're that's how we, we got are it. also moving into. That show yeah. that's been running forever. We Going we have recorded we have recorded a hundred and five episodes for you guys to date. So if this is the first episode of our show that you have ever listened to, and the number I dropped a hundred and five doesn't make sense because this is episode seventy. We do a couple of side segments. We do one called Loris Obscurus, which is all about folklore and crazy shit in the American wilderness actually in the world wilderness at this point we are we are deep into checking out hauntings and uh, cryptid sightings all over the world at this point so that's kind of our like uh, i don't i don't even know it's supernatural show that we link back to warhammer 40k um, we also do a segment that we call tales from the hive where we either introduce our own lore or we talk about some of our listener lore or we go over some creative writing um, tips and tricks 
And uh, yeah, so so there's a lot of content out there. And uh, we, if this is your first episode, fucking welcome. Strap in because this is going to be a weird ass ride. Um, as we <laughs> also, just diverged for fuck? like six minutes into the challenge. What do you mean, yeah. what the fuck? <laughs> hey, go go back. Listen to some of the other yeah, shit. Yeah, yeah. yeah we'll, we'll pause. We'll pause. <laughs> All right, that's enough well, time for him to listen to everything. <laughs> <yep>. <laughs> now that you're caught up. Beautiful on the surface, but rotten underneath. Don't ever, even for a second, doubt that it is the most dangerous world in the galaxy. Danger does not always come in the shape of orcs with bolters, Ragnar. This world is where the elite of the Imperium have gathered. We're talking now of the most ruthless, ambitious, unscrupulous collection of rogues ever called from a million planets. This is the place they have come to realize their ambitions. And on Terra, they can and will not let anything stand in their way. Not me, not you, not their own kin, if need be. That's Torin the Wayfarer, Wolfblade to House Belisarius of Novanus Nobilite. Speaking to Ragnar Blackmane. Was he referring to demonettes? Uh, no, he was talking about people who live on Terra. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. He's oh, talking about nice. diggers. Terra, known as Earth in the most ancient of records, is the throne world of the Imperium of Man, both the birthplace of humanity itself as well as the God Emperor. Terra is a hive world located in the sector solar of Segmentum Solar, whose population is counted in the hundreds of billions, if not more. It is also the most sacred of places to those devoted followers of the Imperial Creed, and billions of pilgrims trek to the homeworld from across the galaxy every year, just to walk across its sacred but lung-contaminated and barren soil. Even as the planet is mostly covered in massive hives, much of it is effectively a globe-straddling temple built to the worship of the Emperor of Mankind. As the throne world, the planet supports the primary headquarters of many of the Adapta that ensure the Imperium's continued function. The Imperial Palace, the Scholastica Sicanica, the Halls of the Astronomicon, the Ecclesiarchal Palace, and the Cathedral of the emperor defined to the halls of justice and that's just to name a few the scholastica psychana just that i don't know the, the, that, it, that's like just, the primary psyker school uh okay it, it so there's here, a lot here. of scholastias it's like hogwarts yeah <laughs> it's like hogwarts <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. You're a wizard. You're a Billy. wizard, Mocky. You're a wizard, Billy. You're a psyker, Mocky. Oh, God. It's not oh, what you want to... ships is coming. It's oh, not fuck. what you ever want to fucking hear. Right? It's not a no, nice I'm, little letter coming I'm, through your fucking... Yeah, yeah instead of an owl and a letter, it's, it's a, black a black ship, ship and, and a fucking Arbites. <laughs> It's literally a civilization. It's literally a world that's built around the idea that any fucking fireplace can be turned into an instant teleporter. And they rely on the slowest goddamn animal on the planet to deliver mail. Dude, that would be the most fucking hilarious, like, (sighs) 
<laughs> crossover <laughs> skit that we could <laughs> if we had like an animator that could like oh, do if we it did, would be fucking we need to hire we need Harry. to just find an animator to just we'll, is, we'll write it and they just do the animation yeah. go on Mark, fiverr <laughs> marky's uh marky's <laughs> weekly podcast plug yeah. to find an animator to animate our random let's bullshit see, yeah. see. what would what would it be called it would be uh harry's black ship journey well, no, you got to like parody it off one of the um, names of like one of the books. Harry, Harry Potter and the Black Ship of Secrets. And the- <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, there's a secret. All right. <laughs> Harry Potter and the nine hundred and ninety nine thousand other psychers. Yeah. <laughs> I was oh, going to say and the, and the Astronomicans flame. Oh, the instead, of, instead of the goblet of fire, it's the Astronomicans flame. <laughs> Is it a real short book? Uh, it starts with Harry finding out he's a wizard, and on page two, he dies to power the Astronomicon. <laughs> oh no! There's got to be at least like one ship of silent torture as the black ships yeah. drive him insane, as he's cut off from the warp for the entirety of his journey back to Terra. His his journey to. <laughs> Fucking sub level nine and three quarters. <laughs> oh yeah, nine and three quarters. Wow. Yep. Whatever the processing hell it is. facility nine and three quarters. Like that doesn't exist. It does exist. <laughs> they do it's, exist. It's been it's been struck specifically from the imperial record. It doesn't exist. <laughs> redacted. <laughs> Speaking of redacted, only but sister. That's a, that's a meat grinder, not a doorway. <laughs> I found the source of the mysterious ticking sound. It's this type pipe bomb. You seen the Harry Potter <laughs> puppet pals? <No. laughs> Voldemort blows them all up with pipe bombs. It sounds like my kind of. Oh my god, my it's pretty video. It's pretty funny. So speaking of redacted information, only scant records remain to speak of the earth that was, and none now remember what it was like in those ancient days. Those last remaining hints, though, speak of a naturally beautiful world whose resources and environments were sacrificed on the altar of progress. It seems likely that in the last decades before the Age of Strife, old earth was covered in cities that stretched from pole to pole, polluted monuments to the power and industry of humanity's hubris. Then came a great war that was unlike anything that had come before it. What little the 41st millennium savants and historians have been able to gather of this time comes mostly from the nightmarish myths and legends of the Age of Strife. But it seems likely that the weapons and armies unleashed by the warring factions of Old Earth were of such horrific power, they tore down and ground to dust the great old cities of mankind. When the Emperor revealed himself and began his path to become humanity's leader, renaming the planet Terra in this process, Earth was a wasteland left in the warring clutches of the techno-barbarians, these savages endlessly fighting for survival over the husked corpse of their former glory. Basically talking about how they exited the Golden Age of technology. Yes, left the Golden Age <laughs> violently. Extremely. <laughs> was it was it leaving or was it more like forcibly ejected from the golden age? It was almost the like go- uh, the golden the age had projectile some... diarrhea <laughs> right into the age of strife. The golden age had a couple of like there's definitely a couple of steps as the golden age kind of crashes down upon itself. Yeah, 
And uh, as a bit of a teaser for you guys, as we steam right into season three here, the Unification Wars in the early period of the Imperium will be our next mini series, which will launch probably in two or three weeks. We have a we have an episode in between that is covering some old world Warhammer old world content. If you're into fantasy battle, and then we are jumping into our mini series on the Unification Wars. So a lot of this stuff that will breeze past is sort of a history and overview of Terra. Well, we will come back to in detail soon. Continue on. <laughs> Enhance. <laughs> Enhance. The end of the Unification Wars changed everything. The Emperor turned his will towards bringing back some of the planet's lost natural beauty, while also defining the magnificence of the Imperium of Man. The Himalayan Mountains, now a region called the Himalaya... Him, How the fuck... Are you supposed to pronounce that, Kev? Himalaysius? Himalaysius? Uh, let, me do, let, me, uh, let me check them. You know, how, you know how, the, how does the Imperium pronounce the Himalayans? Because it's not the Himalayans. It's like the Himalaysias. I'd say, I'd say how you just said it was probably correct. The Himalaysias? Himalaysias. Yeah. Unless, it, unless it's supposed to be Himalaysia. Oh, maybe it is Himalaysia. Himalaysia. Like, like com, combining... Himalayans and Asia? Himalaysia. Yeah. Okay. I yeah. I, uh, we're gonna because go. it, it kind of took the place of that whole southeast yes. corner of the continent. Yeah. So it it really just depends on if you think they're referring to it as more geographical or if they're trying to give it a fancy, you know, Latinier sounding name, whichever one you. No idea. So the <laughs> Himalayan mountains, now a region called the Himalaysia, were leveled to serve as the foundation for the imperial palace. While new vast cityscapes and glittering hive cities were built, rich in sprawling parklands, statuary, and breathtaking architecture. Even the spaceports of Terra, which scraped the very edge of space, were magnificent in design, nurturing natural beauty within their functional design. With a mix of planning and mastery of psychic powers, genetic engineering, and other sciences, the Emperor had begun a generational-long process to heal the world. Then came the heresy. With it, brutish fortifications replaced or hid the stunning architecture. And while the forces of Warmaster Horus were eventually driven from the planet during the Siege of Terra, orbital bombardment, then invasion, and finally open siege and warfare had once again destroyed much of the world's returning beauty, this time to be lost forever. So, Horus is the bad guy, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. As much as anybody can be the singular bad guy, yes. Um, this this era of imperial history, of the Imperium's history, is very much kind of recorded. They're still the good guys, and everybody else the bad guys. Yeah, yeah. The, essentially. <laughs> At this so, point, they're not even like, are we not the good guys anymore yet? Like they're still pretty much, pretty unquestionably still the good guys. <laughs> oh, are we the baddies? <laughs> so, yeah, so that comes later. Is Sanguinius like Jesus? Except yes. he didn't come back. So yes. yeah, I, and we've alluded to this in Short the past. Answer, yes. <laughs> yeah, we've alluded to this in the past. A lot of the story of the Horus Heresy is actually very close to John Milton's Paradise Lost, which is an epic poem about the fall of Lucifer from heaven with Horus replacing Lucifer and the emperor, the God emperor replacing God. A lot of it kind of falls down to that like battle between angels and fallen angels, which would become demons. 
That very much how the Horus Heresy is sort of painted in broad in broad strokes. Interesting. So who would be Moses and what sea did he part? Magnus, and that was when he was trying to get the warning to the emperor. <laughs> that that could be it. That was literally just me pulling something out of my ass, dude. <laughs> oh, that was great. I think Moses, honestly, Moses would probably be like a, a, a parable about the Eldari leading something, something Eldari-ish leading to something, or maybe the old ones. Mm. If you were, if you were to put it in that context. Because again, you have to, as much as the Imperium of Mankind views the Emperor as a god, the rest of the galaxy doesn't view the Emperor as a god. The Emperor is literally just a really powerful dude who may or may not even be alive anymore. Was. Quotes. (laughs) (laughs) Lots of bunny ears in this episode. (laughs) Since the end of the Horus Heresy, Terra has been rebuilt again over the course of 10,000 years. However, its magnificence has faded and become replaced with the macabre and gothic, almost as if the throne world itself is linked to the slowly decaying husk of the emperor himself. Terra is the beating heart at the center of an imperial bureaucracy. Why do I sound drunk every time I try to say bureaucracy? Because we can't see what's in your hands, so... It's a beer. You know. <laughs> <laughs> My powers of deduction! <laughs> Terra is the beating heart at the center of an imperial bureaucracy, at once a sacred world and one of immense political power. Its power and majesty over the Imperium of Man have seen the planet become a legend to most people of the galaxy, those who will be born and die without ever seeing it. The Imperial Palace is the site of the Golden Throne, which acts as a life support to the mortally wounded Emperor, even as it amplifies his psychic powers in the warp. Both awe and terror-inspiring architecture dominate the world still. However, what was once beautiful and accented by celebration of nature is now a foreboding domain. Statues of angels, saints, and primarchs loom over those who toil below. Their sightless stares drive out any thought of heresy or rebellion, while inspiring the fanatical zealotry of the imperial creed. Even so, it is considered such a blessing for pilgrims to set their feet upon holy terra that most who manage to make the journey never leave its polluted surface again. So it's like a wasteland, essentially. Yeah. The parts of the planet where you can see the surface are a barren wasteland. Most of it is a city. Shameless plug, Patreon, if you like to join us for 6 or $9, you can see the beautiful art that Ryan pulls up. Uh, and you could see Sometimes Horus I'm good at it. <laughs> standing over the Emperor. I thought the emperor Sanguinous. was taller than. Oh, that's Sanguinius. Well, no, no, no. I mean, uh, the emperor's on the right, right? Sanguinius is on the floor. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Horus He's is in... standing over. Yes, that's the emperor. But yeah. If you pay attention, the emperor's left foot is down low. Yeah, he's like three steps below. But he still seems like the same height as Horus. Shouldn't he be like much taller? Horus is juiced. Yeah. Not only. Uh... Horus is chaos juiced in this, and he this is, is also Horus in Terminator armor. Prime. Yeah, he's he's in Primark Terminator armor. He's in the big ass Terminator armor, and this is at literally his most powerful. And that's why that's why Sanguinius looks a little smaller. I'm assuming, right? Yeah, that's about typical. Sanguinius size. is also laying on the floor dead at this point in this picture. Sanguinius is already dead. Is dead. Yeah, 
Damn. This is yeah. this is the moments between Sanguinius's death and Horus's death. Which really probably is only a what, like ten minute span? If if that. So I haven't finished reading the Siege of Terra novels, but I would imagine it's not. It it can't be. It's hey, like you know ten what? minutes or there's less. Pro- there's probably gonna be some monologue there's probably gonna be some fill in monologue. <laughs> it, it- is it published yeah. already? The fight between Horus and the Emperor. Yeah, I, th- I think the final book's already out. I'm on book three because I know they keep adding books to, for the Horus. Let me let me find out because I know what it's called. You look I mean, that up. The, the Emperor we pretty much at. like backhanded the shit out of Horus into so the non-existence, Emperor, right? So the Emperor and Horus actually have a fight in psychic space leading up to the Siege of Terra. And even during the Siege of Terra, they're continuously battling in psychic space. Depending on, and again, I I haven't read the Siege of Terra books, which are explaining a lot more of it in detail, but the Emperor was losing the fight. And then somebody stepped in and essentially allowed Horus to be distracted enough in in a split second that the Emperor was able to banish his soul from his body, essentially destroy his soul in the psychic realm as he made a mortal killing blow to his body. I thought it was also the sword that did that, too. Yeah, and and there's also some other stuff going on, like Horus is at the height of his power, but Horus isn't really Horus anymore at this point. He's like an undivided possessed, in a way. Yes, he's kind of a possession of all of the Chaos Gods at this point. He's very sick. Like the, The soul that is actually Horus is very sick and dying. A it's lot like, like it's how like burning up soul. his soul yeah. to make him that powerful. And the Chaos Gods are loving it. Yeah, a lot like how Fulgrim's soul is essentially tortured and trapped. And the demon the, Primarch, the greater Fulmar, demon thing, yeah. Actual Fulgrim is trapped inside of Fulgrim's body watching all of this in horror. Like, the Chaos Gods do this, this kind of weird, wacky shit. So it looks like it's out, the book. Yeah, I, I want to say it just came out, or like maybe a month or two ago. Yeah, it can't have been very long, but it's called The End and the Death, Book 8, Volume 1. Yeah, I'm on Book 3. No, I'm on Book 4 now. Okay. Um, I've been reading them. I haven't been listening to them, which is why it's taking me a little bit longer. The cover art is so dope. I also had to take a break and listen, and not listen, and read the Felix and Gotrick books, because as much as I would like to read all of the Siege of Terra stuff, Sometimes the amount of detail that goes into space marines fighting space marines is exceedingly boring. Brother, you have betrayed me. You are no longer my brother. You were no brother of mine. You were a coward. No brother. Yeah. It's just it like I get that there's important battles and I get that there's important like set did pieces. I, did I nail it? Yeah. And I get that there's important things to be done, but at a certain point like Maybe just, and I and I realize a lot of it is we're selling books here, but maybe just tell the important can, parts can you rather give me the cliff than notes. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Did it need to be eight books, or could we have done it in four or one? Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Considering all of this comes out of like six pages in the Rogue Trader original book, yes, Marky. Yeah. Maybe there was a shrinkage or or a growth point where you cut it off. <laughs> Please. Please. Obviously, I know a lot of people like reading that type of military science fiction, and and uh, there's an author named William Deitz that wrote a book series called Legion of the Damned, which is all about criminals who are 
Their brains are legitimately taken out of their bodies. They are put into black boxes. And then when they are needed for combat, they are put into exo battle suits. Like, think Tau Crisis battle suits. However, the entire time the Legion of the Damned is not on the battlefield, they are kept alive in total isolated blackness. Oh, it's terrifying. This series is like 10 or 11 books long, and it deals with an alien invasion and this Legion fighting it off. And I've read all of them, and they're all great. And at a certain point, I've read two or three of these battles. Four, five, and six are the same as one, two, and three. Like, they really are. Um, and so I get I get the appeal to some of it. There is a lot of interesting shit that happens in the Siege of Terra books. There's a lot of very interesting set pieces and stuff that doesn't deal with the war at all. There's a lot of cool stuff. There, there's <clears> the, sounds like RoboCop. Yes. <laughs> being turned off and not being able to do anything. Yeah, well, I mean, they pulled that dude's brain out, stuck it in a robot, turned yep. him on. But they left him a hand so he could shake hands with people. No, 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 the bad guy. Oh, yes, yes. Okay, I thought you meant the good guy. But RoboCop's an awful story from either side. Yes. <laughs> like, like, honestly, it's a fucking, it's a, it's, it's fucked up. It's cyberpunk dystopia, it, 100%. Yeah, I mean, I watched the later, yeah, the newer one recently, but. Watching the old one and seeing Murphy just get blown up by like 12 shotguns, you're like, God damn. Yeah, right. (laughs) Oh, dude. What's this rated? (laughs) (laughs) That might be one of the movies that predates like different ratings. Anyway, back to Terra. Terra is possibly the most massive hive world within the Imperium. Its population is uncountable, but most likely it is in the high several hundreds of billions. Like most hive worlds, it is a study in extremes, with a population divided between a smaller upper class of imperial nobility and the adepts of the Adeptus Terra, and the teeming masses of the lower classes, which serve as basic laborers and indentured servants. The upper classes include the official servants of the emperor, imperial officials such as the high lords of Terra, the ecclesiarchy clergy, the aristocratic families of the novenist nobility, high-ranking military officers, high-ranking scribes, and other various high-level functionaries and bureaucrats. The lower classes are far less privileged, with most being little more than thralls or serfs, endlessly shackled to the manufactura and infrastructure mechanisms that keep the Imperium running. Terra also has a single moon, Luna, which is inhabited and a highly populated civilized world of the Imperium on its own. And that is the only time we will talk about Luna this episode, because planet spotlight luna will come eventually <laughs> hashtag episode 169 <laughs> there you go where we talk about ass good i got i got a hundred i got 99 episodes <laughs> and, Lu- and luna <laughs> <Crap>. ain't one <laughs> so before you move on yeah. i guess i got a sidetrack <laughs> Ryan's is like, goddamn, please. Let uh, me I just wanna I just wanna know what the sidetrack is because the last thing that was said was I got ninety nine problems and Luna ain't one. So like, where are you uh, going? The the wife and I just watched this anime, I think it's called Ragnarok. And uh who's the who's the goddess of like beauty? Not Athena, uh, right? Aphrodite. Aphrodite. They have this <laughs> goddess Aphrodite and uh she she has I can't I don't know if they're statues or if they're actual dudes. But she's got these statues of guys standing in front of her holding her boobs up. I'm wondering if the emperor has like dudes holding his nuts up. Like, 
it's just they're, they're, they're literally like sisters. bound endlessly, yeah. endlessly sisters. to sisters. life. <laughs> yeah, they're just... No, they're not. They're, they are not sisters of silence. I, they're dudes. I guarantee you in the Imperium, it's two dudes that have yeah. to do it. Dude, it's like the holiest of holy like things you could do. It's like it's like raising the the flag. What, what do they what do they it's call like that? Color guard. Not yeah. Is it is it like that's not Reveille? Is it color guard or I can't remember what it's called. Uh, morning colors. Yeah. Yeah. Color, it's oh like colors God, in the morning. Dude. But like instead of raising the flag, you're raising the emperor's nuts up. Like is it? You just got to pick they, them up off the floor and wipe them yeah. down every once in a while. Make sure some, they don't fall off. Some <laughs> little fucking cherub baby servitor thing. That's exactly. With a little <laughs> trumpet yeah. as you do it. Yeah, and they're just raising his nuts up. No, no, no. It's two cherubs. It's two cherubs that endlessly <laughs> hover above the emperor, and they've got this big, like, cloth banner that goes down and it's just wrapped around the just nuts cradling them, cradles you know, them in a little ham- a ball hammock what do you call it like the, oh my god what's the what's the movie with the dude the big zimbowski big lebowski, lebowski? the big lebowski where he's like cleaning his bowling ball <laughs> yeah with yeah. jesus jesus yeah, but, cleaning his bowling ball <laughs> yeah with jesus but it's nobody like nobody touches two- the jesus's ball <laughs> <laughs> that's how the cherubs clean the the emperor's nuts. <laughs> All, right. All right, sidetracked up. So a little history of Holy Terra. The Age of Terra, or the Age of Progress, is the name given by imperial scholars to the time period between the first millennium and the 15th millennium. Basically, this is year 0 AD to year 15,000 AD. To give an idea, the imperial records cite Atlantis and Nova York as being legendary Earth cities from this time period. They also mention nations like Germania, Murica, Britannia, and Bania as being competing powers as mankind was making its first steps towards the stars. So obviously that's Germany, America, Britain, and I'm assuming Bania is some form of Eastern European bloc. Bania is not a techno-barbarian state, so not really much is known about it. It's literally written like twice in the books. They really called it Murica, huh? Murica. Is it Murica or is it Mercia? It's Mercia. Let me say Murica. <laughs> wow, way to, way to fucking ruin that, Kevin. Sorry, I, I've just been... I was... I was all on board. I loved the concept that it was called Murica, but But it's Mercia. I just, I know that it would end up being called Mercia because Mercia. (laughs) And the reason I know that is because because fucking GW thinks Katachan is Katachan. So clearly, (laughs) clearly they wouldn't let us have Murica. They're going to fuck that up too. God damn it. It's Murica. (laughs) Yeah, it would be Mercia. But it's spelled Murica. It's M-E-R-I-C-A. It's Murica. (laughs) The next 10,000 years was a golden age of scientific advancement and technological wonder, known to the Imperium as the Dark Age of Technology. It's this chunk of history where the warp drive, standard template constructs, and the artificially intelligent men of iron are developed, kicking off the spread of humanity outside the soul system and into the galaxy at large and establishing the first human galactic empire. For this, Terra serves as a capital as well, although it would be Earth at this point. Earth serves as the capital to this first galactic empire. However, this age of progress came to a stuttering halt. First as humanity encounters Xenos threats during their expansion, 
including the Aldari and the Oryx. Now, to be clear, this doesn't mean that the first Xenos we came across were the Eldari and the Orcs. The first major Xenos threats we encountered were the Eldari and the Orcs. There may have been cases where humanity came across an alien species species who had colonized a solar system or two. And in some cases, they were friendly and we traded with them and we lived with them in peace during the first Galactic Empire, not the Galactic Imperium, to be clear pre-emperor days however this was the time where we started to run into eldari like several hundred solar systems away from each other or orcs in completely different portions of the galaxy you know if those friendly aliens wanted to stay classified as friendly aliens then they probably should have been more chill during the ages drive (laughs) just saying it was during this time that the men of iron revolted Next, human psychers began to appear in massive numbers for the first time, and these people, unable to control or contain their powers, unleashed the horrors of the warp upon their unsuspecting neighbors. The final nail in the coffin of this age of advancement was the slow growth of the new chaos god Slanesh deep in the Immaterium. This led to giant warp storms across the galaxy cutting off interstellar trade and communications, isolating millions of human worlds. Many of them reverted to pre-industrial states as they maintained only small stockpiles of what would become archaeotech left over from the dark age of technology. So you would have a planet with the population of Earth in, say, the Middle Ages that had the technology, that that technologically advanced equipment would only serve like a hundred households. So you'd have a planet of say 180, well, no, let's say 900 million people, not, not quite a billion, but getting there. And there is enough technology for maybe 600 people. And that just led to, you know, when, when you have interstellar trade and you have interstellar communication, you can get new stuff. You could repair stuff. You can send resources out when you have them. When that goes away, they start hoarding this shit. And these noble houses, these knight households, essentially, rise as rich because they're controlling what little technology actually exists. And everybody else just goes back to, within a couple of generations, just goes back to like, well, I'm a farmer and I don't have running water or lights. Damn. Humans are pretty adaptable. And fucked up to one another. (laughs) Oh, yeah, definitely. (laughs) This isolation led to a terrible civil war that consumed Terra starting in the 27th millennia. This war saw the unrestricted use of thermonuclear, biological, and chemical weapons of mass destruction, a conflict that killed billions and saw Terra divided between nation-states of techno-barbarians. This age of strife ended in the 30th millennium, following the birth of Slanish and the fall of the Eldari. This is when the Emperor of Mankind first rose out of his deliberate obscurity to launch the Unification Wars. At the conclusion of this conflict, the various nations and warlords of Terra had been united under his rule, and the Emperor officially established the Imperium of Man. From here, the Emperor forged alliances with first the Cult Mechanicus of Mars, and later the Saturnine Ordo, who became the core of the Solar Exilia, and then launched his Great Crusade. Imperial expeditionary fleets loaded down with Space Marines, Imperial Army troops, and the Mechanicus Knights and Titan Legios spread across the galaxy. 
once more uniting mankind under a single rule, defined by the secular imperial truth in the 31st millennium. This marks the birth of the age of Imperium. We colonized all the planets in our system? Yeah, long, long before the age of strife. The entire soul system had been completely colonized. So you had Earth and Mars, and then you had the Saturnine Ordo, which is the term that's used essentially for everything from the Jupiter out. And that entire area had kind of become these like island nations, essentially, that internally warred with one another. But anytime a bigger threat came from outside, like orc raiders or something, they would band together and they would just destroy them. The solar exilia was the absolute pinnacle of humankind fighting forces. They were so good that even space Marines were like, yeah, we don't want to really fuck with them on mass. They might win. Like they mm. were, they were the top void suited and everything. And they don't really exist anymore because sadly, well, a they lot like the protectors of our solar system, essentially. Right. They made up the bulk of the original Imperial army. I mean, if, if you think about the statement I just made, you know, one solar system, right. And then say the next step out in a cone, not a cone in a bubble and like a dome, you go from one solar system to nine solar systems, right? So now you've got the solar exilia and you have to spread those, those pinnacle of fighting forces and the space Marines between nine different solar systems. And then you step out again. Okay, now you've got to spread it between 18. Now, you, now 36. Now, and it just keeps going like that. Yeah. It exponentially increases. So the further you get from the soul system, probably still in the solar segmentum. You're not even in the segmentum Pacificus yet or the segmentum Obscurus or anything. You're still just in the first segmentum, the core worlds. You're already spreading your elite fighting force threadbare. And what you're doing is you're bringing up these people who have largely either lived in their own technologically advanced society, which was kind of the rare exception or more than likely industrial pre-industrial age peasants and farmers. And those became your new troops and you just mass produce las rifles and give them to them and point Mm. them at the enemy and hope (laughs) (laughs) we have more of them than there are of you. Maybe we'll win. And then as the Horus heresy shows in certain cases, we did come across these highly, highly, highly advanced imperiums that were out there, places that knew enough of the history of what they had been involved with before the coming of the Age of Strife that they had made their own imperial creeds and they had their own emperors of mankind. And the Great Crusade destroyed those groups of people because they weren't the true emperor, one, and two, because the emperor was trying to reunite everything. But in some cases, you come across this massively successful, you know, 10, 12 system empire, and you have to destroy a certain amount of it in a civil war in order to bring it back into the fold. And through that, you kill off your best warriors and their best warriors. When, when were the Thunder Warriors killed off? Was that, I'm assuming that was before the Great Crusade, right? Very, very end of the Age of Strife. Very, very end of the Unification Wars, basically. Uh, as, basically, as he uh he had finished uniting terra yeah like in the in the culmination of that order 66 almost it almost you know yeah, lines up much. just like order 66 where it's like oh look we won right yeah right he's like so, i don't want to play with so you the genos, anymore 
there, there, it was a little more tactical. There was a whole like plan and everything where they got sent out and then they, they basically got drop site massacred. Yeah. Yeah. The Genos regiments, which were like the Imperial guard that had been fucked with and made better. Um, the Geno warriors and the thunder warriors were essentially the early forms of space Marines and what the Emperor found through the Unification Wars, and, and he kind of designed them on purpose this way. We'll get a lot more into this in the Unification War episode. Um, Purpose-built. They had been purpose-built to be, exactly, to be massively violent and aggressive. And what he realized was that in order to pursue the Great Crusade, uh, not... Uh, the, that was more like a side effect short, of how ridiculous they were. Uh, and it and it was also a side yeah, it was also like an assumed thing. Like they're gonna be so violent and aggressive, they're gonna die. They're in gonna combat. Yeah, they'll end up dying in combat because yeah. they're too it, dumb to like retreat and stuff like that. There there are rumors <laughs> that there is a Thunder Warrior still alive in the forty second millennium. Yes. So. Uh basically it's like a ninety nine percent chance that they're gonna end up with like full blown cancer on yeah. the whole body. Damn. Full blown. Like every part of their body will just start to fail. Kind yeah, of like because um, of the genetic mutation. What is it? Stuff. The, the Emperor's Children. They're like juicers. If if you're familiar with the uh, the Rifts universe, you can play a race called you can play a racial character class called Juicer, and a Juicer basically wears a suit that constantly injects them with like combat steroids. Uh, They're okay. really really good, really really like fucking fantastic techno barbarian warriors but literally then you roll like three ones in a row and you die <laughs> no you but you have like you have like a 10-year lifespan that oh, it's okay. gonna burn your body out your your metabolism is just gonna burn too hot and you're gonna die like your character will literally only last the one campaign kind of thing yeah essentially like that's the okay. way that they're kind of built so what the emperor realized towards the end of the unification wars was that Thunder Warriors were too aggressive and too brutal to be statesmen. He needed to create a force that could be warrior monks. He, he needed he Roman realized, legionaries, not, not berserkers. Yeah, that he needed, exactly, that he needed warriors that could act as statesmen rather than exactly what Kevin said, <laughs> he essentially. Went, he went from having an army of Lehman Russ yeah. to getting more Lion and Gilliman. There's a scene at the end of the Unification Wars where he essentially punches a bunch of them to death. He one-punch mans them. To death uh, the emperor the, himself yeah the emperor just like walks through a like group of thunder warriors backhanding them individually and they, they to let death. him or oh no they don't they don't let him we'll, we'll get into it <laughs> but, uh, uh, marky you're asking questions about the first mini series of season three <laughs> and i'm, I'm sorry, shit I, off I, my I, desk marky i love thunder warriors marky, so I, I just you've you've seen star wars i have it's treason then <laughs> that's about how well that goes fair enough yeah i wanted to make a custodes army that was essentially thunder warriors that would be dope yeah i really yeah, like we, the we found thunder the 3d armor. prints we did the the thunder armor is aesthetically one of my favorite designs yeah i love it i wanted to just get, have them like have custodes rules because they're like juiced yeah. up like custodes they are but, juiced up yeah yeah and like the backstory, <clears throat> I think I've talked about it a couple yeah, times. Yeah, yeah, you brought it up before. I like it. Yeah, essentially a, a few of them that escaped and were lost in the warp. And in the lore, right part of it is knowing that, one, the technology wasn't really in place to mass manufacture complicated power armor. Mm. So he built the appropriate warrior 
for them. Yeah, well, he also yeah he, he also knew, didn't he knew need, they weren't going to be battling in space. He knew they weren't going to be super tactful and that they were more like a blunt sledgehammer of a weapon. So he designed the thunder armor, not void sealed. Yeah, like easier to put together and more just like blunt durable than like super finesse. Mm. He needed something that could combat the techno, techno barbarians. barbarians. So he built. He basically took some of the best techno barbarians that he won to his side early and used their like genetic pattern to make the. We're gonna get into all of this in a lot more official detail. Yeah, two episodes from now. <laughs> The Emperor's dream of a new golden age of humanity unified under reason and progress collapsed in the wake of a galaxy-wide imperial civil war. Warmaster Horus, who had been left in charge of the Great Crusade by the Emperor himself, who had returned to Terra to undertake other projects, that's the Emperor, Horus fell to the ruinous powers of chaos. Half of the Space Marine Legions, the Imperial Army, and the Mechanicum aligned themselves with Horus and his own Space Marine Legion, the Sons of Horus. Spoiler alert, Ryan. God. Over nine standard years, the traitor forces burned a brutal path towards Terra, leaving countless worlds scourged with thermonuclear fire in their wake. Finally, Horus and his forces arrived and the siege of Terra began, with the traitor legions laying siege to the Imperial Palace itself. Billions of Terrans died in the defense of their emperor, and those hundreds of millions caught behind the siege lines of the traitors suffered horribly at the hands of the dark gods. So great was this suffering that a morbid fear of space marines has become a permanent fixture of Terran culture. People who live on Terra do not like space marines at all. They are fucking terrified of them and kind of hate them. Yeah, because the only time space marines are ever on Terra is when shit is shit terrible. Shit fucked up. <laughs> The Emperor and his loyalist forces were ultimately victorious, and with the Emperor slaying Horus on the bridge of the traitor's flagship, the Vengeful Spirit. But the cost was terrible. The Emperor was mortally wounded, his ravaged body only preserved by internment into the cybernetic life support device known as the Golden Throne. His body was kept alive in the material world as his mind became anchored and empowered vastly in the immaterium of the warp. Was it Horus just stabbed him and mortally wounded him is that how that happened or was it like a essentially horace came in and cut him badly enough i th- i believe he pretty and and again the siege of terra is going into greater detail but i'm pretty sure he cleaved into the left side of his body and separated like the emperor's left arm almost entirely uh if you've seen the really famous piece of john blanche art of the emperor on the golden throne there's one like you can see that his arm is separated kind of okay arm and there's another arm that's like missing (laughs) essentially Mm. so he's he severed one arm and clove pretty deeply into the emperor's chest and it was at that point that the emperor basically for for all intent and purposes (laughs) pressed the broad side of his sword into horus and banished Horus's soul, like obliterated Horus's soul. Horus's body didn't really suffer that much damage, but his soul was tore from his body and destroyed utterly. And that's because they were saying that Horus was uh, completely like, there's no trace of him. Did they mean there's they no mean trace his of his soul? soul. There's okay. no trace of his soul. So most anything, and, and, and there's, there's an important reason for that distinction. 
most anything that follows the ruinous powers that's be- reached the demonhood level of Horus can't actually be killed. Like Angron can't be killed. Angron can be banned. Angron can be banished, but he'll rebuild and come back eventually to the material plane. He can. Mm-hmm. Same with Fulgrim. Same with Portarabo. Same with uh, Mortarion, and same with Magnus. Yeah, they're just like, like demons, essentially, right? Yeah, they're that essentially they... demon primarchs. Yeah, all the demon yeah. primarchs can come back. Horus, though, his entire echo, his entire soul, his entire manifestation in the Imperium, in the Immaterium, not the Imperium, in the Immaterium, in the warp, was destroyed. So Horus's body survived. It was he was dead because he had no soul. He had there was no life essence anymore. But right. that's why Bile was able to steal Horus's body from the sons of Horus before the sons of Horus repainted their armor and became the Black Legion and make a bunch of clones of Horus and try to restart the heresy. But like, they're all failures, right? They all failed. Yeah, because there was no soul to attach to him anymore. Uh, One of the other theories is that Abaddon, Ezekiel Abaddon, is actually a clone of Horus. But in this case, it was the Emperor making a cloned copy of Horus before Horus was reunited with his legion. Hmm. Yeah, something like that. And and it's very I easy thought because was... Abaddon has memories of being raised on Cathonia, which doesn't really make any sense that the Emperor made a clone of him, blah, 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 blah. blah. But there's also like little Horus is another... There's a lot of... Uh, legionnaires in the Sons of Horus and the Luna Wolves that look that a look lot like, like Horus. Yeah. It's it's one of those, hmm. there's a couple legions where they end up looking more like their Primarch. Yeah, like the Blood more Angels. they age. Blood Angels end up looking kind of sanguineous-y. Right, right. And uh, the but, Sons of Horus, Luna Wolves are one of those. Yeah. The, the theory that Ezekiel Abaddon is a clone of Horus basically comes from the idea that the Ezekiel who was, when he went through the process of becoming a space marine, the memories were transferred into a clone, essentially. Oh, like they were, they both started as the same memories, and then they, yeah, they so, made two so Eze- space marines out of one person, essentially? Yeah, it, essentially they took Ezekiel, the, the Chthonian Ezekiel's brain memory, and put it into a different body. Okay. And then, and then yeah, they're theoretically one of the other nameless legionnaires may be ezekiel's original body but like he would never recognize it because of everything because they all look like horse <laughs> but at the same time it's so much a i feel like that's one of those like little storylines that they introduced because they might fuck with it later and then they were like now nah, we're never going to do anything with it this is tinfoil hat territory all the stuff we just talked about with ezekiel being a clone of horus is tinfoil hat territory none of that is lore <laughs> oh yeah All right, so for the last 10,000 years, the Imperium has stagnated, its technology, culture, and even morality slowly decaying. Even the Imperial truth of secular reasoning has wilted away and been replaced with the Imperial creed. Often, this religious devotion to the God Emperor seemingly being the only light that can hold the darkness of Xenos and warp threats at bay. Terra sits as the beating heart of an interstellar Imperium, which stretches across tens of thousands of light years, encompassing millions of worlds, exerting its administrative control through at what best can be described as uncaring, faceless bureaucracy, and at worst, a brutal, xenophobic, mindless tyranny. 
Hundreds of billions of Terran citizens live in the hive cities, which are like islands and a toxic urban hellscape that stretches across the entire planet. Those not born into the privilege of high status are lucky to find work as cogs in the endless bureaucratic maze of the administratum, as so many billions more are condemned to endless grueling poverty. However, all still call the wasted, toxic soil ground below their boots holy. Towards the end of the Imperium itself, Terra will become the scene of mankind's ultimate salvation at the hands of the Emperor's loyal servants, or the last outpost of humanity, which falls before a tide of heretical rebellion, Xenos genocide, and chaos damnation. So a couple of footnotes on history. Do you guys have any questions, actually, before we jump into the little bit of history that we didn't cover yet? No, no, Terra sucks. Emperor's dead. Forest. <laughs> Got his soul blasted out his booty hole. It's- e- episode wrapped up pretty concisely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all, it all makes sense. Go humans. <laughs> so a couple of footnotes we didn't cover when we talked about history just a second ago. With the emperor incapacitated at the end of the Horus heresy, the Imperium's leadership fell to the high lords of Terra. This hasn't always been the smoothest or most stable concentration of leadership. As an example, in M32, during an event known as the Beheading, a Grand Master of Assassins, Draken Von Gorick, killed, a high lo- killed all of the High Lords, taking over the rule of the Imperium himself, and this lasted for several solar decades. He was eventually disposed by a combined force of Space Marine chapters, however. Then, in M35 to M36, the Imperium was split in two by a political strife that was known as the Nova Terra Interregum. This is when the Ur Council of Nova Terra established itself as a second parallel capital of the Imperium. However, their efforts ultimately ended in holy civil war, where the Ur Council was declared heretics against the will of the God Emperor. Right on the heels of this was the Age of the Apostasy in M36, where the Ecclesiarch Goge Van Dyer took control of the Administratum and the Ecclesiarchy, giving him massive powers over the other High Lords of Terra. He essentially controlled two of the 12 seats and through political maneuvering took control of several more. Again, it took several Space Marine chapters in order to bring him back or to attempt to wrest control from him. However, it was the rise of Sebastian Thor and Van Dyer's own Holy Order of Warrior Nuns that took him out of power. Those Warrior Nuns, by the way, would later become known as the Sisters of Battle. The Age of Dark Imperium, which was in M41 to M42, saw the opening of the Cicadrix Maledictum and the faltering of the Astronomicon for the first time. Terra itself was assaulted by demons as Korn launched a massive and brutal assault on the Imperial Palace during what would become known as the Battle of Lion's Gate. A joint force of Primaris Marines, the Adaptus Custodes, and the Sisters of Silence were able to repel the demonic assault but the attempt stands as a dire warning of how far the chaos gods can reach when the power of the golden throne wanes. I need a dun, dun, dun soundboard button. <laughs> yeah. There's so much in 40 K that you like read it and then dun, dun, dun. <laughs> pretty, pretty much every, every event. Yeah. Every mm-hmm. sentence. But yeah. Some crazy shit has happened with uh, Tara and, and there's that whole idea that if, tinfoil hat territory if the emperor dies there's a there's a button that the custodes can push that like reset etch-a-sketch reset the world really 
Yeah, the, the, I can't the terminus remember. Terminus decree. Yes, the terminus decree. Thank you. What do you call I, it? The omega thirteen. Essentially, it would. <laughs> right. Why, the is, it, why is it still button. counting down? <laughs> 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 but the terminus decree it essentially states that, like, if so many things fail, they'll hit a button. The button will shut down the golden throne. The emperor's mortal body will fully die, allowing the emperor to become the fifth, in air quotes, chaos god, which will probably be good overall for whatever survives of humanity. However, however, anybody around there is going to have a bad day. However, for the vast majority of people, it will not be good. (laughs) Since Terra is on the other side of the galaxy from Cadia, does that mean we're going to get... Cadia is actually of terror. Cadia is actually not really that far from. Terra. I know. I'm just kind of like how we have the maw and the maelstrom. Right. We're gonna get the eye exactly. of terror <laughs> and the butthole of Terra. The brown eye. I just think it's really funny that they keep saying like that they've separated the worlds and they're not connected and they're and yet and every single time they advance the lore. They do so borrowing lore from the other one. <laughs> well, and most and most of the lore of the old world, as somebody who's relatively familiar specifically with Bronze Age collapse history, is literally Bronze Age collapse history. I think that's probably what it is, is they're both parodies of historical of actual yeah. history. And, you know, they're just the same things are gonna get parodied. So yeah. inspired by inspired. Yeah, they're not making. Well, they are making fun of it. <laughs> they're totally fucking taking the piss out of most of it. <laughs> what was that, Marky? Oh, saying the nipple of terror. The nipple of terror. <laughs> yeah, that's where all the demonettes come out. <laughs> Ow, that makes my nipples hurt. <laughs> all right, so the geography of Terra, because we always get to the geography and climate of the planet. My favorite subject. Terra is now a massive high world or Enconopolis, the largest on record in the galaxy. Humanopolis? I think it's Enconopolis. I've heard it pronounced a couple of times. I'd be I'd be interested to see. But it, a world city, essentially. That's what that that word is a special world word that means world city. Earth that was has been completely stripped of natural resources millennia ago, and its soil has been left utterly barren. Terra's oceans had begun to vanish during the Age of Strife, and what had survived had been boiled away in the years after the Horus Heresy, the immense heat of hundreds of billions of lives being too much for them to survive. The liquid water needed by the population comes from captured outer solar system comets, which are brought into the orbit around the throne world and broken down for consumption. Many of Terra's mountain ranges have been completely leveled, and even traces of them are no longer evident. The Himalayas are the only exception, with the tops of the mountain ranges having been leveled to build the Imperial Palace. The core of the mountains contain, however, the genetic engineering laboratories where the Emperor created the Primarchs and the first Space Marines. The chambers of the Astronomicon can also be found running throughout the entire mountain range. When we say the Himalayas were leveled to make the Imperial Palace, we mean they were leveled, as in somebody made them a level plane to build on. When we say that all of the mountains on Terra were leveled, we mean destroyed and turned into tiny pebbles. Which, it's weird because it's the same word, but English is a fun language where the same word means different things. 
While almost the entire surface of the planet is encrusted in a single city with hive spires rising here and there out of the choking pollution, that city is built on the ancient remains of older civilizations. And the vast catacombs of these forgotten layers hold older cultures, radically different from anything that can be found on the surface. Sounds like a fun place to live. It sounds like there's a lot of like story kernels. If you wanted to tell some crazy stories about like the shit that happens in the underhive of Terra, yeah, I mean they pretty much give you carte blanche. They're like, you go down deep enough, nobody fucking knows what's going on down there. <laughs> Good luck. I also found it interesting, and it it it's kind of weird to sort of wrap my head around at least that they leveled, they turned the Himalayas into a level building field, like but a plateau, kept, right? But kept the majority of the mountain core there so they could use those mountain, the biggest mountains that biggest mountain range that we know of tallest mountain range that we know of in order to like build other things. But like some of the oldest mountain ranges in the world, not oldest, but some of the largest mountain ranges in the world, like, um, like the Rockies, which stretches pretty much two continents. It's gone. There's nothing left. It's been bombed to oblivion. It's, it's just a crazy idea that like some mountains kind of survived. Other mountains are just gone. Tactically speaking, I can't really see a reason why the Himalayas would deserve a carpet nuking. So I, Tactically, I can't. <laughs> the Imperial Palace was <laughs> built there. <laughs> right. But, in fact, in fact the Himalayas that, were tactically carpet nuked. <laughs> but before that. I, a a like, lot the of reason damage, the mountains, The reason those mountains would still exist over, say, the Rockies in America, Mercia. Mercia. In Mercia. See, we um, can still pronounce it like it's Mercia. 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 <laughs> Can't stop me, GW. Yeah, Mercia. <laughs> Goddamn Mercia. Mercia. <laughs> but a lot of that damage was actually done during the Horus Heresy. That's I mean, the crazy A lot of it thing. also done before that, too. Yeah. A square meter of land on Terra costs more than a palace on any other hive world with most being owned by dynastic family bloodlines. So there's not really a lot of territory on Terra that's for sale, but if you could find it, a meter of it, a square meter of it, so fucking, what, nine feet? Nine square feet, right? No, three square feet? Three square feet. Yeah. Would be more expensive than a palace in the spires of any other hive world. Only the Antarctic Pole region is free of the sprawling and creeping city. The headquarters of the Imperial Inquisition lie beneath the remaining ice caps of Antarctica, and this is one of the most secure installations of the entire Imperium. Now, I do have a weird thing here. There is no more water at all because it's too hot for water to survive, but there are still ice caps. And I don't know if that's a like it's... oversight or if that's a testament to how cold the pole is supposed to be. I'm not it's sure. Both. Um, okay. I, okay. I, I was I don't remember where I stumbled across across somebody going over this kind of stuff. I think it was a combination of multiple sources, but in sci-fi in general, this concept of single biome planets is overused and blatantly and they, scientifically impossible. And they because, always have ice capped poles, <laughs> no matter well, how hot they are. Except for well, Arrakis. But even even Arrakis, it wouldn't necessarily have an ice cap pole, but it would be freezing cold just because of the way a sphere is shaped and just the sheer distance yeah differences between the pole and the equator there will yeah. be a temperature difference 
because it's just physically not possible. Right. And to be fair, Arrakis is a single biome planet and is the cause of the single bioplanet trope. Probably. Arrakis is a single biome planet because it has suffered a purposeful terraforming ecological disaster. Arrakis did not start out as a desert planet. Arrakis was made into a desert planet. Exactly. And a lot of people who only read Dune don't know that. You have to read more than just the first book. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) sorry. But then the other part um, of it that I remember, because I've I've been, I combine a bunch of things into my own head built Wikipedia for it. Um, is that it's not necessarily that there's no water. Sci-fi nerds. It's <laughs> it's that there's no usable free water. Well, there's it's no... all tied in municipal systems. It's in yeah. so it's not like there's no ocean. There's no lakes. There's no right. rivers. But there is water in the sewage treatment plant. There is water, you know, in the cooling systems for the manufactories. And they're constantly yeah. bringing water in. So there is water on Terra. There just isn't oceans on Terra. Yeah, it's just it's more like a misrepresentation of you know it's like, it's like they say it never rains on Arrakis, and that oh, makes it sense. It rains well, in the deep desert. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Oh, that's cool. Just, yeah. So there's a bunch of shit about Dune and the planet of Arrakis that, like, if you read if you read the first book and you watch the movies, that there's very much what the Fremen want you to think. And then there's the actual uh, planet. Okay. Yeah. That's cool. Oh, speaking of, uh, they have a release date for part two. Ooh, I'm excited. Yeah, uh, August. Oh, nice. At one time, great orbital plates connected to space tethers had dotted Terra's surface. These had largely become unused or unused for their original purpose by the time of the end of the Age of Strife because the uh, the generation of the warp drive anti-grav stuff was introduced so they were kind of used as like people lived in these things they were not used as space tethers anymore however rogel dorn primarch of the imperial fists and the praetorian of terra had dismantled them before the arrival of horus's forces one because he needed the resources to build defenses and two because he couldn't be sure that the peoples who lived in them were loyal or not Building in their place countless orbital defense platforms, which still circle the planet. The throne world is one of the most heavily fortified planets in the Imperium. All right. This is the Animaniacs part where I try to sing all the notable locations quickly. I am kidding. That's not going to happen. Oh, I was really hoping for it. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Notable locations. These first several notable locations are all going to be within the Imperial Palace or within the Himalayan area. The Imperial Palace itself, more of a sprawling hive city, the Imperium Palace dominates most of the Northern Hemisphere. This is the heart of the Administratum and the domain of the Adeptus Custodes. It also contains the Great Throne Room of the Emperor, which is the location of the Golden Throne. It is divided into the Inner and Outer Palace. I think by most of the northern hemisphere, they mean no- most of the northeastern hemisphere, because most of the northern hemisphere would also include like Mercia, which has its own entire. It's covered by a giant manufactorum, essentially. Say it, say it right, Ryan. Merc Mercia. Thank you. Mercia. <laughs> Buongiorno. Rebo Dirci. <laughs> 
we're nothing if not consistent, guys. <laughs> the Eternity Gate, the largest entryway into the inner Imperial Palace. This is often the last leg of the Imperium Cult's pilgrimage and is one of the most important sites of the journey. There is a mile-long passage leading to the Eternity Gate, which is lined with thousands of banners to the greatest and long-dead of Imperial heroes, including those of Lord Solar Commander Macarius himself. Lord Commander Solar Macarius himself. Sorry, I, I screwed up his title. <laughs> the Sanctum Imperialis is next. This is the throne room in the heart of the Imperial Palace, a massive chamber that contains the Golden Throne and the Emperor's body. It is guarded by a select 300 Custode warriors, the companions of the Emperor, and they are considered the elite of the elite. Also in the Imperial Palace are the central offices of the Departmento Mentorum. This is the Imperial Guard High Command structure. The House of Weapons. This is the armory of the Imperial Palace. The Custodes and the Imperial Fists are known to store their arms and armor here. The Tower of the Hegemon. Within the tower is the Watch Room, which is the nerve center of the Custode. The City of Sight, the headquarters of the Adaptus Astra Telepathica in the Imperial Palace during the Heresy. The Obsidian Keep, the current headquarters of the Adaptus Astras Telepathica. <laughs> the Badab Bastion, an ancient place of counsel and refuge for the warlords and tyrants that predate even the Age of Strife. It was absorbed into the growing Imperial Palace and was used as a command and control center by Dorn during the siege. The Tower of Heroes. This houses the Bell of Lost Souls, which is only told when the greatest of Imperial heroes is slain. The tolling of the Bell of Lost Souls can be heard by almost everybody in the Northeastern Hemisphere inside the Imperial Palace when it is rung, and when it is rung, everybody stops and reflects until it is done ringing. The Shrouds. This used to be the headquarters and central meeting place of the Officio Assassinorum. The Column of Glory, a massive crystalline pillar of metals, half a kilometer high. It is housed under a dome so massive that clouds and storm systems form inside of it. The pillar is studded with hundreds of shattered armor, powered armored suits belonging to the Blood Angels, White Scars, and Imperial Fist Space Marines who died defending the Imperial Palace during the Siege of Terra. Column of Glory and the Pillar of Bone are two of the coolest fucking things that are inside the Imperial Palace, like monuments. So the Imperial Bone has a bunch of rumors around it, and I'm not going to get into the rumors because there's a lot, but the truth is that it is the last remnant of the Imperial Fist's Fortress Monastery, which was all but destroyed during the last acts of the Horus Heresy. It's like the last pillar of the original monastery. It's the only thing that's left. The Invisitory, a massive open-air amphitheater that once contained the statues of all 20 Primarchs on plinths, arranged in a silent ring. After the heresy, the traitor Primarch statues were removed. I got a thing here. All 20 Primarchs had statues. They yep. only removed the statues of the traitors which means there are two statues in there that, that people are no like, one knows anything are these about. Guys? I wonder if they just don't have faces or something. Didn't, um, I remember during the 
the heresy. Am I fucking, am I fucking up? Were there 22 original Primarchs? Did I just fuck that up? <laughs> no, there's 20. Was there 20 and two were stricken from record? Yeah, leaving 18. Okay, remaining. okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, But uh, didn't Alpha Legion people sneak in and blow up some of those statues? Yeah, there's there's some other randomness that I just happened. couldn't remember if it was they blew up Dorn's statue to make it personal or if they blew up those ones. Yeah, a lot of because the, it like, was convenient or whatever, and that way they didn't have to explain them. A lot of the like specific shenanigans, sh- sh- shenanigans that a lot of the like legions got up to in the open season of the Black Library. I'm not super in touch with because okay. I haven't read all the books, but yeah, yeah. I I, I want to say I remember something about that. I I know at one point some Alpha Legion guys is inside the palace. And they're like talking shit to Dorn. Dorn's like, "You're never gonna get in here." And he's like, "Fucking watch me!" Boom! <laughs> and something ex- fucking. I bet. think they blew up. Blew up. Blew Dorn's. up Dorn. That's. I was like, was it Dorn or did they just blow up the other one? And it was just the other one. Yeah. And during the heresy itself, they didn't remove the statues. They covered them in sheets and like big ass like tarps because the emperor was still essentially like of the mindset that they could be saved. They yeah, he didn't know how far they had fallen. Yeah. Yeah. Because even, I mean, it's implied that even up until the point where. Oh, he was uh, trying to save Horace, like in yeah, the fight. Yeah. He was it, trying to save Horace. It, was, it came to the conclusion that it was un, untenable and was like, all right. Yeah. Game GG. <laughs> and that's one of the reasons that Horace was winning, was that the Emperor was, was still trying to save him. back in a way. Yeah. And, and Horace was like, there was no Horace left in Horace. So right. he didn't give a shit anymore. So the Senatorium Imperialis of the High Lords of Terra, a massive building inside the palace that houses the Council of the Senatorium Imperialis of the Twelve High Lords of Terra. So it's got their houses and their council chambers. It's, it's like their district, essentially. In this is the Great Chamber of the Senatorium, which is where they hold parliament. The Library Sanctus an imperial archive which holds the knowledge of some of the oldest and most sinister things in galactic history, such as information on the Men of Iron and the Yamga Monolith. The Dark Cells, also known as the Black Cells, these are located deep beneath the Imperial Palace and contain various entities and artifacts which date back to the Age of Strife each of which could annihilate the Imperium itself if they were ever to break free or be used by those seeking to. It is unknown if these are also the vaults of Rytheon, which were used by the Legio Custodes before the heresy. The Dark Cells are patrolled at all times by 100 Shadow Keepers, a shield host of the Custode. It is said that the atmosphere of these cells can put even them on edge. I just think it's kind of funny that you say it's like the vaults of Raytheon. Like, ah, yes, good old Raytheon. Still building weapons in the 41st millennium. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I didn't even think of that. It may be, it may be Rython, and my brain did Raytheon because... Uh, yeah. It's because um, of that reason, but exactly, even, yeah. even so, it's, it's a clever writing thing that they did, probably on purpose. <laughs> probably. The dark cells are where Keener is kept before... Um, the sigilite frees her to start the imperial cult. Like when she's captured, when she's still a remembrancer before the divinica 
Letitius Divinicus is like out, out. She is kept in the dark cells because they realize she's too dangerous. Like, oh, she could start a religion. And even though it's a religion of the emperor, she can start a religion which will destroy the Imperium. And it's not until Malkador is like, we need the religion or the Imperium is going to fall that they free her and let her out of the dark cells. Just an interesting, like, little thing. All right. So outside of the Imperial Palace is the many buildings of the Adaptus Terra. These buildings and complexes are spread across the surface of the throne world and make up the government that keeps it all running. There are also the many buildings of the Administratum. This is the primary administrative arm of the Adaptus Terra. And again, they have facilities essentially everywhere. So listing them all off is not a thing. They're just everywhere. The Forbidden Fortress. This is a vast complex that extends under and throughout most of Himalaya. A single peak is carved to be the chamber of the Astronomicon, where 10,000 psychers continuously power the beacon itself. Access to the Forbidden Fortress is by invitation only, and this rule even extends to members of the Inquisition. The Navigator's Quarter. Headquarters and palaces of the families of the Novenus Nobilitae, or Navigator Households. It's said that this is on a secluded island on itself, which... Again, it's one of those things like, but you said there were no oceans, so how's there an island? But it probably means an island as in a plateau and what used to be an ocean. That's yeah. also a distinction. A lot of the city, even though we talk about the city encrusting the entire world, it's not quite like Coruscant. It's more like several hundred miles extending into what was the oceans. The canyons left by the absence of oceans are deep enough that the city doesn't necessarily completely encrust what was the ocean floor. Yeah, they're they're like metaphorical oceans at that point. Good yeah, metaphor. I like that. Metaphorically. Formerly literally, currently metaphorically. <laughs> the Hall of Judgment. This is the headquarters of the Adaptus Arbides. The Officio Assassinorum and Assassinorum Temple. This location is a heavily guarded secret. It operates as the headquarters and main school of the Assassinorum, with the temple serving as the Grand Master of the Assassin's personal headquarters. The Ecclesiarchal Palace. This palace sprawls almost all of the entirety of what was once known as Australia and serves as the headquarters of the Ecclesiarchy. It is also home to two covenant priories of the Adapta Sororitas. It also contains the Cathedral of the Emperor Defied. This is the massive cathedral of the Imperial Cult. And the Cathedral of the Savior Emperor, which is the largest of the Imperial Cult's cathedrals on Terra and in the known galaxy. This is also the most popular place for pilgrims to visit. It is said to hold many Imperial relics, including fragments of the Emperor's armor and the ashes of Rubut Gilliman's cloak. There is the Kangaba Maru, also known as the Vault, the large underground imperial prison complex of Terra, which holds the worst criminals of the Imperium of Man. It is located in the Himalaya Mountains under the peak of Rakapashi and dates back to at least a thousand years before the Great Crusade, and no one knows who built it or why it was built. The name of it, the location of it, and all of that totally makes me think of the prison that Bane was thrown into. In the Dark Knight trilogy, that like deep ass hole that they just kick him into, or no, that the they darkness. kick Batman into, yeah, 
I was born. By the time you discovered the darkness, I was already a man. <laughs> I like that. I don't know if you've ever seen the ones where like, I was born to the internet. Bored by it, you merely came upon it as a man. <laughs> like they twist like the internet yeah. logic and all that shit. By the or time gaming. you discovered YouTube, I was already a man. <laughs> right? It totally wouldn't be the Bane voice. It would be some creepy ass voice. I I just uh, love how they got to the Bane voice. Oh yeah, no, I I just watched a thing on that. It was pretty awesome. It's so that it was like just a joke. Yeah, and then he was like, "No, run <laughs> with just, that." He did it, and they were like. No, we're we're doing it. <laughs> it's sold, I mean, sold, brother. It's like when uh, when I did the Yarrick as a Southern general, and now it's just canon. <laughs> and now it's our canon. <laughs> Next up is the Eternal City. This is a massive urban area adjacent to the Imperial Palace itself. It is said to be a true reflection of all hive cities across the entire galaxy. It's very, very beautiful and resplendent and incredibly dingy and dirty. Then there are the catacombs, vast underground passages which run beneath all of Terra, so large that they require oversight by a designated imperial official known as the Mistress Planary, who is a lesser member of the Centaurum Imperialis, serving at the pleasure of the High Lords. Hive Keralia. The ruins of an ancient hive bombarded during the siege that once contained vast libraries of Dark Age knowledge. Hive Tashkent, a hive city on the continent of Asia. The Himalayic Shelf. Deep beneath this geological construction live the deadly denizens of various rune-locked vaults. The warriors of the Adeptus Custodes often fight in skirmishes intent on preventing them from escaping. I love how there's just this, like, yeah, there's some creepy shit down there. Custode's got to go take care of it. We're not going to tell you anymore. Mm-hmm. Manufactorum Mercium. This is a manufactorum complex. I am assuming it is somewhere, if not all over, North America. Because there's not much more other than it's a massive manufactorum and a couple of battles happened there. And I didn't, I did not want to get into a bunch of battles that we're going to talk about potentially in a couple of episodes. <laughs> the Walking City, a massive, densely populated mobile techno nomad platform that slowly walks a looping route towards the equator and back on 20 massive legs. This was the site of a demonic incursion by the Lord of Flies during the siege in which the mobile city was only saved by Nathaniel Garrow and the Knights Errant. The White Mountain, an ancient subterranean fortress built under one of Terra's massive remaining mountains. It had remained highly irradiated and uninhabitable since at least the Age of Strife, but had been reclaimed by the Imperium to serve as a prison for psychers. And a bunch of battles happened here, Sisters of Battle and some other demons, and we will probably get into a couple of these locations when we cover the Unification Wars, and then we will probably touch on a couple more of them when we do our brief coverage of the Heresy and the Siege of Terra. Uh, and that, that's it for Episode 70, Planet Spotlight, Holy Terra. There's obviously a lot more of this. There's stuff that's being done now, and there's probably something that we left out for timing reasons or because we're going to jump into it with our Unification War and early 30K miniseries. That is coming up, so if this is the type of stuff you guys are super interested in, you want to know all of the ancient 
history that essentially set up the Imperium. We are in it. We are in it, boys. It's going to be a ride. Are we excited? I know we're excited for Thunder Warriors. Are we excited for everything else? <laughs> as excited as I can be. Marky's quivering in his boots. <laughs> if you want to get in contact with us about the show or share your own short stories, lore, or spooky stories, you can reach us by email at underthehiveofmadness at gmail.com or jimdarkgaming at gmail.com. You can also reach us through our community on Discord. There we chat about 40K lore, the hobby, tactics, plus maybe a little bit of Age of Sigmar, Warhammer Fantasy Battle, creative writing, video games, role-playing, and so much more. Check us out on Facebook, Instagram, the TikToks, or email us at www.underthehiveofmadness.com. You mean you mean our, our website, <laughs> underthehiveofmadness.com. Oh, or you visit said, us. Yeah, yeah, you <laughs> yeah. Email, email our website. It's cool. <laughs> the, that, it's we late. Do, I'm tired. Technology, email technology email does what? <laughs> like and review us wherever you get your podcast. Our home is Spotify, but we are on Apple, Google, Audible, Stitcher, and a bunch of other places. If there's a place that you listen to podcasts and we don't happen to be there yet, you can always reach out to us with one of those emails provided and we'll get back to you. By the way, the spellings for everything and links to most stuff is down in the show notes for the episode or is in the show notes for the episode. There is no down, but it's in the show notes for the episode. You can also support us through Patreon at www.patreon.com slash under the hive of madness. Patreon members get access to a video podcast with minimal editing. So you can see our beautiful faces, follow along with what we're looking at on screen and hear all of our amazing and Oscar worthy bloopers and blunders. All Patreon levels also get access to our quarterly painting contest. Plus we have perks at higher levels. So go on over and check all of that stuff out. Joe's Sump Shack, home of the all-you-can-eat sump crustacean and fungi cheddar jalapeno biscuit platter. Just three creds after four shift. Don't forget to wash it down with a bucket of snotgrot arrogant ale pints on special all week. We are the dysfunctional miscreants of the Underhive, the only true children of rampant rebellion. 665.66 UHMR Chemrat Radio. Reminding all of you Chemrats, Hive Mice, and some ghoulies to keep those dials fixed right here. Same ratty frequency for a dose of the same ratty-ass attitude. Ratty, ratty in the sump. Dad catches it with a pump. Mommy fries him in a pan. And baby eats him like a man. Four days forward, entire family cornered. Baby no more, for the four-armed emperor is restored. <laughs> Motherfucker. <laughs>